The reading today is from Ephesians 5, verses 1 to 20, and that's uh, page 1111 on your Bible. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for the Lord's people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything is exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Mum. <laughs> Great. Good morning, children. Good morning, kids. Uh, if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, you'll obviously know that we've been looking at the book of Ephesians. Uh, and if you've heard Graham speak at all, you'll know that he has opened a lot of his sermons with Good Morning Saints. This imagery that has run through the whole book of Ephesians so far, this idea that we are called to be saints and clothed in righteousness. Um, I don't know if you heard in the passage, the imagery today changes. Today, we're called children of light. Um, and I'm hoping we can, we can think a little bit about what that mean, might mean for us. Um, but before we go any further, I'd love to pray if you'll pray with me. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray you would speak to us and meet with us this morning. In this place, it might be your dwelling. At the words I speak. Might they be your words? Amen. Amen. Great. So as we say, we, as the past weeks, we've been looking at Ephesians. Um, and I don't know if you, if you heard the reading particularly. I'd encourage you to open it in your Bibles. We're going to be kind of going through it quite systematically. Um, but he's kind of, Paul is laying it on thick here. 
Um, if you were here last week, you know that he sort of um, starts talking about things that are not becoming of God's people. And actually today, it kind of seems like he's taken it up another gear. And he's really calling out the things which he thinks are not of God's people. Um, and just for a bit of context, you can grab the next slide. Um, oh. The autumn sun is robbed of my comparison. But in the Bible, I've heard it explained once, and I quite liked it. There's, two, there's, almost, there's almost like a spectrum of Paul. There's a spectrum of Paul. And on the one side, uh, you've got Philippians Paul. You've got Paul who is very nurturing, very gentle, very kind, very, very earnest, like deeply longing for the church and praying for them with all his strength. And you sort of feel a sense of like warm cuddleness as you sort of read it. And on the other side, you've kind of got Galatians Paul, and you can't really see it, but he's very scary there, and he's got a sword, and you're not really sure what he's going to do with it. And he's, it's not that he doesn't love the church, but actually his tone is much less compromising. His tone is quite sharp. His, there's a sense of uncompromisingness about him that actually he gets quite angry and he wants, to, he wants people to know what he believes is important for them to know. Throughout the book of Vision so far, I think we've seen a lot of, sort of Philippians, Paul, as we've sort of mentioned, this talk of identity. Where are we found in Christ? What does it mean to be a saint? And I think here, Paul's just shifting his tone slightly and he's actually giving us a description, perhaps, of what that might look like. So if we can grab the next slide. Oh, There's a really cunning photo of Ned Flanders from The Simpsons, if you know him. But I don't know what you think of when you think about God's holy people. I think one of the most iconic pop culture references, surely, is Ned Flanders. Um, and obviously, Ned Flanders isn't a joke. Um, he's, not, he's not a perfect Christian by any means. But what I think is interesting and that I get from him is there is a sense of uncompromisingness about him. That actually, whether you think he's being overzealous or whatever, actually there's a sense that everything he does is rooted in Scripture or it's rooted in the love for the Lord. Now, you can tell it's reading too much into it. It probably is. But I hope you get that in, in mind as we look through this. Because I think Paul's pretty explicit here in what he expects from believers. I'll read it again. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom and of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes to those who are disobedient. Therefore do not with partners for them. I don't know if any of that struck you. I've been reading it for quite a lot over the last week, and it struck me quite a lot. Um, <laughs> it's a wide straight, obviously it's not an exhaustive list of things that are wrong, but I think what Paul is trying to say is that there's no room for compromise in the Christian life. There's no room for settling for anything less than that which is wholly pure and wholly honouring God. 
I think what Paul is trying to say, there's no room in the Christian life for sexual immorality. What's more than that is there's no room for even a hint of it. That means it's not even what you're doing, it's what it looks like. Paul is setting this bar so high, saying there's no room for impurity, there's no room for causing others to stumble, there's no room for greed, there's no room for obscenities, no room for offending people unjustly, there's no room for foolish talk and saying things you don't mean, there's no room for coarse joking that might upset others, there's no room for disobedience, there's no room, there's no room for saying my way, not his way. But I don't think Paul's just saying them just because he doesn't want He's just writing off a list. I think Paul's saying them because actually these things are destructive. They're damaging. They're hurtful. They're selfish. They're unkind. And they do not make us, as he opens with, walking in love and giving ourselves as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Those things are not becoming of us. Now, we could stop there. We could just stop there. But it's interesting that Paul doesn't. He goes on to say this second part. He says, For once you were in darkness, but now you're under the light of the Lord. Live then as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's why it's said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Um, There's a lot we could talk about. There's a lot of different things. But I think it's really important to note the shift in imagery. So I've only been doing this preaching thing for, for a year and I'm still learning a lot as I go. Um, but one of the most helpful pieces of advice that was given to me was by a friend who, who asked a preacher who was retiring and he said, what's the one piece of advice you'd give to me? Like, if you could do it again, what would you say? And this old retiring minister didn't skip a beat. He said, I wish I'd preached kinder sermons. He said, it's a tough old life. I wish I'd preached kinder sermons. And that's what I'm learning, but I think, I think Paul's acknowledging that here as well. You see, in that bit we've just read previously, he's clearly condemning all this behavior because he thinks that to some extent the church in Ephesus or churches he's writing to must be guilty of it to some extent, but he doesn't use the imagery of rebels. He doesn't use the imagery of slaves. He doesn't even use the imagery of, uh, of, of anything negative, really. He doesn't even flip to saints, which is what he's been doing for the rest of the book, but rather... He looks at the imagery of children, and specifically, children of light. And I think Paul is trying to do something here. Um, I don't want to make it all about myself, but I'm, I've been a Christian for a while, and one of the things I've really struggled with is the tension in the Christian walk. And I don't know if you've found it, it might just be me. But there's a tension between what I recognize is the aim of the Christian life in all purity, living as a fragrant sacrifice to God, living as the way Jesus lived. And I see that, and I know that's what I'm aspiring to, what I'm called to, and yet I'm fully aware that I'm not there. I'm not even close. If I'm hand to go lower, I'd go down there, but I've got to kind of, you know. And so how do we reconcile that? 
It's a little bit, I suppose, like what Amy was saying about this idea of like, you know, we've got to run the race before we run it. There's elements of that in it that, you know, we're already justified. But I've always found it difficult. I'm like, I'm meant to be striving for this, but I'm not sure I'm ever going to get there. In fact, I'm pretty sure I won't. <laughs> not this side of the new creation anyway. And if that makes sense, if you've ever experienced that, I think Paul's trying to speak into that. And he's trying to reconcile the two by saying, remember that you're children. What is a child of light? What does he mean when he says a child of light? Well, I think it's important to think, what does that parent-child relationship look like when a child does something wrong? I think if it's a, if it's a good, loving parent, and I was very blessed to have a, a loving mother and a very loving backup dad, and actually, when a child does something wrong, yes, the parent wants to make sure that child know that they've done something wrong. You know, if a child hits another child, and they didn't realize it was going to hurt them, of course, because they're young, they don't understand strength, whatever, it's still wrong. It's still got to be called out. It's still, something's got to change. It can't just continue. And so the parent wants that child to acknowledge that what they've done is wrong and what behavior is acceptable. But actually, once the child's acknowledged that they've done it wrong, I don't think the parent wants to, wants to hold it against them forever. I don't think the parent wants to, wants to mercilessly sort of torment them about it. I don't want to keep berating them. I think the parent wants to be reconciled. I think the parent wants to bring the child back, to be restored to that right relationship. And I think from the child's point of view, from my own experience at least, when we get it wrong, and actually often we kind of have two choices, we either run and we run as far away as we can, or we come back and we say we're sorry. I think the reason for this relationship, and that's what we're aiming for, is summed up in this. What, what, what do you think that shame and guilt can achieve that love can't? What's the point in, in berating ourselves when God wants to love us? Again, the parent wants the child to understand that what they've done is wrong, that what they've done is not okay, but actually they want to be reconciled. Because you see, Paul doesn't say, a child of light who pleases the Lord. He actually says, this says, be a child of light that finds out what pleases the Lord. In other words, and this is how I read it, and I could be wrong, but this is how I read it. He's acknowledging we're not going to get it all right. He's acknowledging that actually we're still learning. We're still trying to figure out what it means to do this Christian life and to do it well. But actually, when we look at what a child of light is, I don't think it's somebody who gets it all right. I think a child of light is one who reconciles in the right way, who when they get it wrong, they repent. When they get it wrong, they reconcile with their offended brother or sister. When they get it wrong, they go about restoring it in a just and godly way. Such that, as it said in verse 2, so that by this we can walk in the ways of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrificed for God. In other words, a child of light is one who learns and a child that grows. And I think that's what all parents want for their child, to see them grow. So I hope that makes sense, this idea of living as children of light. 
I don't think it's what Paul's been saying elsewhere about living as saints. I think he's recognizing we're not going to get it all right. But actually it's about what do we do after we get it wrong. Now again, Paul could stop there. Again, Paul could stop there. He's, 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 he's highlighted the, 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 the goal, the aim, the, the calling, and he's contrasted it with, with, with reality, this idea that we're actually children, we're hopefully children of light. Then he goes on. Let me get the last slide. Oh, no. Oh, well. Do you see the sort of broad shoulders of B.A. Baracus and like... Anyway, Paul doesn't stop there, actually. You see, if Paul's viewing us as as children, if he's using this imagery, he kind of follows it on, and he gives us a warning, and he gives us some advice. He says that be very careful then how you live, particularly because the days are evil. I think he's acknowledging again here that actually the Christian walk isn't easy. That actually the things that swirl around us, they're not necessarily for us. I'm about to say a lot of the time I think they're against us. Um, and I think some people, oh I've heard it said before anyway, people look back and they look back at, you know, the, the, whenever it was, you know, when perhaps Christendom was more of a thing in this country, people went to church, whatever, people sort of say, oh well it was easier being a Christian then. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there were things that were easy, but I'm, I'm equally, you know, those times weren't great. You know, there was so much wealth inequality. There was so much injustice. I'm not convinced it was much easier to be a Christian then. I also remember um, when I was a student, um, we were at a student weekend away, and we had a speaker who was preaching on sort of studenty stuff and then stopped and said, just so you guys are aware... It is difficult being a, a Christian uh, at university. It doesn't get much easier, just to let you know. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> but actually, it's hard. That's why we need to keep learning. The phrase, the days are evil, I think it conjures something of that sense that actually there's, there's something there that's trying to trip us up. I think, there's, I think the devil is actively against us. And I don't think that is a cause for fear, but I think it is a cause to take this seriously. And so after the warning, Paul kind of gives some advice. He says, don't be foolish. He says, that's not what the Lord wants for you. Don't be foolish, but rather understand what the Lord's will is. If you want to know what, what being foolish is and what it shouldn't be, there's a whole book in the Old Testament, Proverbs, that talks about fools a lot. Um, again, for my own part, um, my foolish thing was last night, um, if your wife is cold and you're trying to light the fire, um, don't, don't try and light it with deodorant because you'll lose a bit of your, um, you'll lose some of the hair on your hand. And Paul goes on again, he says, don't, don't get drunk with wine. He says, don't get drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the spirit. Now, I don't think that means you know, being drunk in the conventional sense, but I remember someone telling me that when they were at university and they were a Christian and they didn't want to drink great amounts with you know, socials and drink socially, but they wouldn't drink to the great excesses that perhaps some of his, his, his teammates would. For a long time, he said, well, I used to say, I don't drink because I'm a Christian. And he got about halfway through his university career and was realizing that wasn't really, really what he meant. 
And so he started changing it. He started saying, I don't drink because I think I've found something better. I think I've found something better. Now, there is, a, there is a loophole there. It says, don't get drunk on wine, and someone did point out to me. It doesn't say anything about getting drunk on beer, but that's not the point. I don't think, anyway. Um, and lastly, Paul gives us a final imploration. He sort of goes, well, rather than all of this, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving the thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. I don't think Paul's asking us to be happy all the time here. All of these things, they're choices. They're choices about perhaps what we listen to, or they're choices about how we relate to one another. Perhaps they're choices about where we put our thankfulness. Do we acknowledge that everything we have is actually from God? Wait, just grab the last line. I don't know if anything's struck you. I find it really helpful week to be reading this passage, and I don't know if anything has struck you, but you don't take anything else away. I hope that this imagery of children of light sticks. I hope this idea that there's no room for compromise in the Christian life, like it's not okay to get things wrong, but at the same time, there's an acknowledgement. We are children of light. We're still learning what pleads the Lord. We're going to get it wrong. And I think it's important to bear that in mind that actually it's not just about getting it all right. Actually, it's about getting it right when we get it wrong. And I think the reason that we're able to be children of light is actually by the grace of Jesus that we've talked about for all these you know, past few weeks. If you've not been with us, I encourage you to read the first book of Ephesians because constantly it talks about this identity that's been claimed for us in Christ. I think that's what enables us to have this relationship, this tension, is the grace of Jesus. That's all I've got to say. I'm just going to close for us in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we read your word and we hear it, alive and speaking to us. I pray that we wouldn't lose that imagery of being children of light. Our Father, would you make that more clear to us, the things that we're doing wrong, the things which you want to, to show us are not of you. But also, Lord, would you show us how to restore that relationship, whether it be with other people or with you. I pray we would listen to you. Amen.